Hi, everyone. This is Jen Kesnick, and you're listening to You Be You, and I'll Be Me. It's been a minute, but I'm happy to be back. And today I am talking to Emily Riddout, who I met through um, Ashley on Instagram, a mutual friend of ours. Emily, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Jen. Absolutely. Um, so you're an astro yoga specialist as well as a folklorist. And, you know, obviously I've, I've read your some of your blogs and I've looked at your Instagram, so I'm familiar. But would you like to kind of expand on what an astro yoga specialist is? Absolutely. So I'm both a yoga teacher with over 10 years of experience, and then also a specialist in astrology. And a lot of people aren't familiar with astrology and yoga and their long, rich history that they have together. Um, And so one of my passions is not just telling people about that, but telling them how they can use it as a tool in their own yoga practice and in their life. So if they have an existing yoga practice, it's pretty easy to begin to incorporate just some awareness of what the timing of the stars are doing and what you might be doing in your practice to um, accommodate that for your life and your body so that you can best express I guess the fullness of your being really. That's interesting. And I obviously, um, at different times of the year, whether it's your, the month is your sign or not, like everything kind of affects everyone. It's not like say I'm a cancer. So it's not just right now is like my time, you know, it's all year long, different signs and different times like affect us in different ways. Absolutely. So when you're born, you have a natal chart, um, which is that moment you're sort of at the center of it. And then it's the entire zodiac all around you and then what the planets are doing within that. Um, And so every single one of us has every single sign represented somewhere in our chart. It's just in sun sign astrology, we tend to give a little more weight to the sun sign. And so we think of that as who we are, but really we are all of it just in different amounts and with different relationships to those different energies. So yeah, every moment is a special moment. That's so interesting Um, because I do identify as a cancer, you know, like, oh, it's the summer and that's all my sign and water and moon and, you know, all that. It's, that's very funny. Absolutely. And in in tropical astrology, we do say that the sun sign is sort of what you're here to learn to embody. Like that's the way that you'll be able to shine out the most and become really most sun-like if you think of being warm and gregarious and open-hearted. Um, having that energy in you is super important. So it makes sense. A lot of people do identify as their sun sign. And additionally, a lot of the inner planets tend to land in that same sign. So Mercury is always very close to the sun, for example. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And now, how do you incorporate yoga with astrological signs or astrology? Yeah, so there are really two ways. Um, One way is that the different signs are actually assigned in medicinal astrology to different areas and functionings of the body. Interesting. Um, So you you just mentioned cancer, which is a sign often associated with caring, nurturing, um, sort of 
gender stereotypically mothering qualities Mm -hmm. and it's it's associated with the belly and the breasts so the front of the the giving heart which if you study chakra theory the front of the heart chakra is where we give love from right and also the breasts are how literally like a new mother would nurture her child um and so so that area is associated with cancer. So during cancer season, um, you might consider um, doing some heart opening if you're feeling you need that, or even some heart nurturing. Mm-hmm. So there's always the over the overemphasis of the sign and the underemphasis. So deciding if you want more cancer energy, you might open the heart, do some back bending. If you want a little more nurturing for yourself, you might do more forward folding actions. Um, so that's the first way. Um, the second way is very simple also. Um, it actually, I would say is more simple and that's just simply noticing what's going on separate from your chart. Things like practicing a moon salute on the full moon or the new moon. Um, We just had the summer solstice and a lot of yogis um, have called it the International Day of Yoga and we do 108 sun salutes on that day. Um, So those are both astro yoga techniques that just sometimes we don't label them as such. Right. And um, you're a folklorist as well. And does this tie into, like, does both of them kind of enhance the other? Absolutely. So folklorists, I don't want to put all folklorists in the astro yoga box with me because (laughs) they do study a wide range of creativity in everyday life from, like, political structures to jokes people tell in hospitals to just anything, right? But for me, um, I studied the folklore of religion, of the intersectionality of like religion and traditional astrology, really. Interesting. And also of yoga. So for me, the overlap is close. Um, For someone who studies like graffiti folklore, they might not make that leap. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's so interesting. How did you get involved? Like what was the first step? Into astrology and astro yoga for me? Yeah. Well, you know, in my very first teacher training, um, which was in India, I was being exposed to a lot, as many people, when they go through their very first teacher training, um, do. They get exposed to many things. And I was fascinated and I was learning a lot. And I was given a book on um, Vedic astrology. And I as a person raised in the Midwest, um, said, this can't be real. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I read the book and then I just started asking people questions. I said, according to this book, you, um, you know, received your first period in the second month of your 14th year. Is that true? And they were like, how did you know? I was like, I don't know. I have this magic book. Oh um, my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> um, and so I became interested just because my disbelief was lifted and sort of the veil was lifted from my eyes. And I started to learn more and study with different teachers. I pursued my master's degree and um, here I am today. That is wild. So um, if say like someone wants to call you for a reading like how does it how does it work 
Absolutely. So you can schedule online if you go to my website, which is emilyredout.com. There's a little booking icon. You can also email me. I have a contact form. My email address is all over the website. You could message me on Instagram to set up a time. Um, And I tend to do readings over Zoom or if someone happens to be local I do it um, in my office, which is a home office. Um, you'll get to meet my dog. Um, <laughs> and you are, we should tell people you are in Oregon. I am in Oregon, although I'm thinking of spending some time in Alaska. So if you happen to be in Kodiak, Alaska, or Eugene, Oregon, I am here for you in person. <laughs> That's so cool. Yes. Yeah, it should be fun. But if you're anywhere else, I'm here for you on the internet. Um, And generally the way readings go is you choose what you'd like done. So most people come the first time and get a birth chart done and just begin to understand their chart. Um, If you are a person who happens to already have a grasp of your chart, you might go ahead and schedule an astro yoga session. Um, So the birth chart readings, we just look at each planet in your chart and we talk about how that energy can manifest in your life. And um, through self-reflection and also just the interpretation of the chart, um, what maybe the most positive expression of your chart could be for you and maybe where some pitfalls could be, some places of challenge and growth. Yeah. Um, yeah, which challenge is always growth, right? So sometimes people say, oh, is it bad? Is my chart bad? And the answer is, no, no chart is bad inherently. Like you can make good or bad decisions. You can make, I, I wouldn't even say good or bad decisions, skillful or less skillful choices in your life. And you always have the capacity to grow and make better and better choices for yourself. I agree. I f- you know, that there's that old saying, it's either a lesson or a blessing. And, you know, everything is a lesson. If you are self-aware enough to realize like what's happening in the moment and how you can benefit from it no matter what the outcome. Absolutely. I truly believe that. And, um, even though some lessons, you know, seem in the moment we say like, I, I don't want to believe this is a lesson. Like this is a horrible thing that happened or, um, I'm feeling really even just uncomfortable with a certain situation or devastated. Um, Despite that, there are ways in those situations that you can engage mindfully and move through it. Because one of the deep lessons of astrology is no matter how lasting something that's happened to you is in your psyche and in your body and in your life, um, everything is temporary, including us. Right. Uh, May as well enjoy the ride. Yes, as much as possible. Find that enjoyment, that love. Yeah, that lightheartedness. Um, and just, I mean, obviously people are going through hard times and it's very difficult and it's hard to, um, unless you have, you know, that daily practice, that daily yoga practice, meditation, breath work, like Everyone I talk to, um, the common denominator usually for everybody is some sort of open-hearted practice like meditation, yoga, breath work, you know, that kind of thing. Like if you have that in your life every day, you're on the road to being able to say, okay, I see what this is and I understand 
what's happening here. Absolutely. And the yoga practice is so powerful. And I mean, according to Astro Yoga, what you're actually doing when you practice the yoga asanas and the breath work and the mudras and whatever else you do um, is activating different areas of your chart in a beneficial way. So you're actually balancing out the astrological energies. Can you give me sort of an example? Like, say, you know, okay, great. So, like, um, with the example of cancer, since you just said you're a cancer, and um, you might at one point, if you truly identify with being a cancer, and um, cancers have this quality of being very sensitive and caring individuals, but they also have this quality of the need to self-protect, because if you think about a crab, it's very soft mm-hmm. on the inside, but it has that shell that contains it and gives it the, it really its power, right? Right. And it's a little bit it's, stabby. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could pinch you. Um, but, you know, as a caring, nurturing person, you probably don't want to get your pinchers out anytime you feel frightened, right? You right. want to scuttle away or just trust your shell will protect you. And so... Um, if you're ever feeling like, oh my gosh, I've given, I've given so much and I'm, I'm tired or maybe I've given so much and I don't feel I'm being nurtured in the same way. Um, if you want to reverse that energy and turn it within, I would suggest doing Tarasana. Do you know, it's the star pose. So it's like butterfly, Oh, okay. but your, your feet go out farther and then you curl your spine in and aim the crown of your head toward the soles of your feet. And if your hips are such that the crown of your head doesn't meet the soles of your feet, you put, you know, blocks and pillows until it meets something. But what you're doing there is you're, you're creating a mudra in the body, which directs the energy back in. Um, and there's a closed energy circuit. So the five areas where we lose energy in the body, the hands, the feet, and the top of the head are all connected where the feet are. And then the heart chakra, which the giving heart has been so open in a person who's experiencing that um, sensation in life, the back heart, which is the receiving heart, gets to open. And so all the love um, and support that is always there for you is able to sort of enter that energetic portal. It's so interesting that you're saying this to me because I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm thinking all these things this morning, like literally like thinking just like, yeah, having this conversation in my head of like, I just can't care about that anymore because it's too painful, you know? And so that's interesting that, so how many times do I have to do this (laughs) over and over again? (laughs) I would suggest, so with Astro Yoga, I suggest people really work with the asana. And so um, I have cancer rising, so I I, I love Tarasana. Um, and there are other postures, too, that open the back of the heart chakra if you do it and you're like, my hips don't like this or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I would do it once a day for several minutes. Um, okay, cool. Especially in a posture like that where it's not as active. Obviously, if you if you come and I'm like, oh, you should practice chair pose, you might you might not hold it for five minutes, but <laughs> right. you might 
move into it every day with this intention and you know at least five deep full breaths in an active posture and then um one to two to three minutes I would say um at least in a more restorative posture yeah yeah, it's all very interesting. I actually, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine um, posted on Instagram a picture of the Encyclopedia of Medical Astrology by H.L. Cornell, MD. And it was before I ever heard your name, before Ashley, shout out, hi, Ashley, um, got hi, us Ashley. To connected. And I, and I commented and I was like, ooh what's medical astrology? <laughs> and I was so fascinated by it. And it's so funny that just a few days later, Ashley was like, you need to talk to Emily. That is funny. Yes. Medical astrology is a deep, interesting field. And of course, um, when you go into medical astrology, you have to um, view it through the lens of a person respecting medieval medicine, which is difficult, I think, for us to do, and because some of medieval medicine seems so ridiculous, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I always think about the example of how medieval doctors used to say, like, take this tincture, go home, sing this song three times, and people are like, singing that song is not going to help, Right. (laughs) what they were saying is, wait 20 minutes. But there are no clocks. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, so I understand. Some of some of it, if you view it through the lens of under of trying to understand, it does make sense. Some of it still you'll see and you'll think, um, I prefer to go to my, you know, general practitioner. <laughs> right. Well, I I'm turning 50 years old on July 2nd, so it's kind of like a happy birthday. Thank you. It's kind of a big deal. And so I went um, to this new doctor uh, who sort of half and half, half Western, half Eastern philosophy. And it's the first time in my life that someone in the medical profession that I was dealing with had ordered so much blood work that she was able to understand my whole being and connect the dots to things that are happening to me that I thought were unrelated, but she was like, Oh no, you connect these dots. Everything's related. And you fix one thing. The rest will fall into place. Cause I've got some thyroid stuff going on. And it was just so interesting to me that the first thing she said was that, you know, the person sitting in front of me and the blood work I'm, I'm looking at at this chart are like two different people. I don't know how you're standing upright. You should be in the fetal position according to this blood work. And she said, let me ask you something. Do you have, um, a daily practice of, you know, breath work, yoga, meditation, Pilates, and you know, I'm a Reiki master as well. So I was like, oh yeah, all of the above, you know, I do something every day or many things every day. And she accredited that to why I'm in such good health, even though I'm not in such good health. So I thought it was really interesting. And if I didn't, she said, it's usually the first thing I prescribe to people is to start that. And people have such a hard time wrapping their head around like, oh, if I breathe deeply and stretch, it's going to change my, you know, blood pressure. Like, yeah, it is. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, First of all, that is an amazing story, and 
happy you found like such an amazing doctor. That me too. Incredible. But yeah, like yogis throughout time have been able to control things like their heart rate, things we think, you know, in Western medicine, oh, you don't have control over your heart rate. But like, if you've ever gone running, like, yes, you do. You can just move your body and your heart rate will move, right? And yeah. The same way, when you breathe certain ways, you can change your blood pressure consciously and you can change your heart rate consciously. And the way you breathe truly changes your life. Like that is yoga, right? At its right. most basic is you're just breathing. Yeah. And it's the most like, you know, you don't think about it at all. And it's the most important thing you do. It's true. Like we can, what's that thing? It's like, you can survive three minutes, no breath. And then everything else is like three days, no water, 30 days, no food. Like, yeah, it's so true. It's crazy. Um, but also I wanted to ask you about, so if you're into, um, medical astrology and astro yoga, uh, do you, are you familiar with biodynamic farming? I am. Yes. I figured you would be. Um, and I find that so fascinating too. And it's all really connected. You know, it's all that we are all part of this earth, this universe, you know, like all of it is us and we are all of it. It's true. So the, the biodynamic people are, I think, loosely associated with um, the Waldorf tradition and Rudolf Steiner. Yes. Uh, and he bases a lot of things. Um, and I, I'm not like a Waldorf person, so I haven't read all of his texts and things. But from my conversations with my friends who are biodynamic farmers or Waldorf teachers, I have I have sort of gleaned that a lot of what they talk about in those philosophies are like the elements that are present in astrology, the timing of the moon cycles, um, as well as um, even just like measuring the growth of children by um, by Saturn cycles. So the idea that like um, at seven, you're teeth come in at 14 you are in the midst of puberty right at 21 I forget what they say happens and then at 28 you're your full adult self um that is a Saturn a Saturn cycle that's set, so a Saturn cycle is seven years um a Saturn cycle is 28 to 30 roughly oh okay um, that so that's one cycle by 28 Right. So every seven years, it's a square, an opposition, another square or a return to your natal Saturn, um, which um, not to get too technical, but for astrologers is significant. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, you know, it's hard for I would say, oh, here goes the dog. Be quiet. It's hard to um, wrap your head around that if you're hearing this for the first time, like my father was a biodynamic farmer. So I heard about Rudolf Steiner, you know, from the time I was a kid and understood, have you ever, or are you familiar with, or have you ever read, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of jumping all over the place, but you're interesting to talk to. (laughs) I like talking with you too. Jump away. (laughs) Okay. Um, have you ever read Carolyn Meese, um, sacred contracts? I have not, but I've heard of that book. Is it? Well, it's interesting to me because um, 
I listened to it on audio book when I was driving, you know, some long distance one time and I thought it was fascinating. So I got the book and I read it and it basically is like, we make these contracts like before we're born and we agree like, okay, we'll be born during this time to these people in this situation um, because that is what we need for our soul to evolve to whatever next level. So it's kind of like, yeah, we have free will in this life, but uh, it's kind of like, well, we chose this for ourselves before we were even born. Obviously, how will we know until we die? But, you know, it's kind of a fascinating um, concept and it resonated with me. So I'm like, that could be true. <laughs> I love that. That goes back to a sort of this idea in Tantra that everything exists in the fullness of being. And the reason we exist as these individual beings is because we are aspects of consciousness trying to experience itself. Right. Yeah. So, um, so this idea that like, we're, we collectively like the earth, the universe, whatever is, is trying to experience every possible experience that exists. Right. Um, so I find that really fascinating and it also lines up with your astrological chart. So are you familiar with something called the lunar nodes? No, tell me. So there's these special points in your chart. Um, they're, they're a geometric sort of angulation of the moon, the earth, and all of that stuff. But um, you have a south node and a north node. They're 180 degrees from each other, and they form this sort of soul trajectory. So you, as a yoga person, you might think about it as your karma-dharma continuum. Mm -hmm. Okay. Your dharma not being like the thing that someone is hammering into you that you must do, but the thing that your soul has come to practice. Right. Um, and so the, and then the South node is more the karma, which is the thing that your soul has already practiced. Mm -hmm. So you roll in with mastery in one area and then you're coming to experience the total opposite of what you mastered in the last lifetime. Yeah, sort of. That's so yeah. interesting. And all you have to do is recognize that before you die. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not easy to um, realize. It's not easy because we like what's familiar, and so to go toward this other thing is really—it's really quite scary. Although um, it's not like someone will—it's not like you'll come to me and I'll say, "Okay, here's your chart. Here's what you have to do in this lifetime." Um, you don't need me to say that. You you'll know it. You'll be like, I feel compelled. I don't know why to be this thing. Right. And I must do this. Well, it's funny because I, I've, I enjoy difficulty for some reason. And I don't want to say difficulty, but like, I, I don't know what it is, not a struggle, but like, I kind of like it when things aren't so easy. Interesting. That's that could be Capricorn or Saturn in your chart. It'd be interesting to see where that is. Yeah, because I do uh, like I love a, a difficult workout. I I, I kind of welcome like, ooh, this is this looks like it's going to be hard. Hee <laughs> you know, like kind of like let's see let's see what we can prove to ourselves that we can do. And I also think that 
if you go towards the struggle, the struggle doesn't smack you upside the head unexpectedly. Absolutely. Whenever you lean in to discomfort, it tends to dissipate. Um, that's one of the things I think, I think they teach this to children now in schools. It's like, if you feel angry or scared or if something is difficult, you sit there and you just acknowledge how you're feeling about how difficult it is, why it's difficult, what is scary about its difficulty, right? Yeah. Then after you do that, you're like, oh, that like monster in the dark was not so scary because now I see it and it's like just a math problem. Yeah, (laughs) it's so true. And it's, it's every single aspect, you know, like just stop pretending, be real and everything will be fine. Absolutely. I think humans have much more compassion for each other than we sometimes in our internal landscape think. Yeah. People grant us much more credit than we grant ourselves. Generally. I, I agree. I mean, the people that I've met, you know, like through Instagram, social media, whatever, like people like yourself, you know, like Ashley, like I have like these great relationships with people I've never laid eyes on before. And I only really come into contact with like kind of nice, positive people. You know, I, I've never been reached out to or reached out to someone who was like a negative person. But all you hear is so much negative stuff about social media, about, you know, like this day and age and all this stuff. I'm like, it actually seems pretty great to me. It's true. And I think a lot of the times, you know, when we're complaining about others or whatever, we're really like expressing something in ourselves that's afraid or that is, um, that we're uncomfortable with within, right? Like it's never really about the kids these days, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I was working on a college campus for a while and I saw these like young young people, you know, 18 to 22 probably. And they like, they were helping like a homeless person in this, like you just see them like helping each each other and you're like how could these people be the millennials I read about in the newspaper yeah and and it's so funny I was listening to someone on a podcast recently and they were saying how like instead of bashing these millennials how about we start addressing the parents that raised them to be this way you know like why did you let them get away with so much because you didn't do them any favors life is hard and you didn't prepare them and now you're gonna have to pay for that that's a really good point because the generation that perhaps is complaining might be the one, the one that really like, hey, you did it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I don't know. I think they're good, you know? Yeah. Like, I see kids and they're so... Hey, they're like, aware. ...and thoughtful and aware, yeah. And I think about um, even like the movies I watched growing up as a kid with like teenagers and stuff, you know, like... The breakfast club it was all about like sure that movie was sort of about coming together right but yeah the kids were kind of it was all about how like social cliques like would procure them from or stop them from being friends right, right. so it's so like from think, the beginning of time <laughs> yeah so now you're like oh now you see all these movies about coming together no matter what oh like, heck yeah I mean this must be 
the most like open hearted time to grow up in. If you're um, a transgender kid, if you're, you know, gay, if you've got two moms, if you, you know, anything that's different, it's totally fine now. Absolutely. And I know that there's still struggle for of course. those kids and, you know, identity, um, acceptance and sharing is just like a real thing that can affect a lot of people. Right. But, um, I think, I really think these are the first Aquarians and of course we're going through this, this transition into the Aquarian age. Yes. Which is so um, cool. Yeah. But this, this idea of the Aquarian age, um, being that we know ourselves as a society, um, through the beneficial engagement for all people, right? Like rights for all people, caring for all people, figuring out what is good. And I really think the, the bad stuff we're seeing, I don't want to use the term bad, but some of it is pretty bad, you know, with, um, the political, the political structure right now and mm-hmm. some of it's not, it's not very positive. Right. Um, I, I really think that that's like the Piscean era's last sort of roar. I do too. And I feel like it's has to, it had to happen that way. Yeah. And it's just alerting us to like, Oh, the work we're doing is important, right? Like, yeah. Like we are, we're not fighting an individual person, right? We're not fighting this group or that group or even no, we're just breaking out of the old ways and coming into the new ways. Absolutely. We're just trying to create the space where all the people are welcome and where everybody has, you know, their voice heard. Yeah. I mean, my father used to say, you know, the way you make a difference, all you have to do is you start by becoming aware. And I think that we are like, if not in, at least on the precipice of like a Renaissance period, because now everyone's aware. Absolutely. The greater the consciousness, um, yeah, the greater the justice, the greater the joy, the greater the bliss, really. That's what yoga teaches us, right? Is yeah. the deeper your consciousness, the closer you are to the heart source of bliss. Right. And I think for so many people for so long, we've been skipping around just like status quo, like, oh, this is fine. This is the way, this is the way it is when you go to school and this is the way it is when you get a job and this is the way it is, you know, for everything. And now we're kind of realizing like, it doesn't, no, no, (laughs) it doesn't have to be that way at all. But just because it was, doesn't mean it always will be. Absolutely. And And frankly, you know, we need to make a change. We need to sort of wake up to our environment, right? We need to, like, look at what's not working and fix it. Like, there's some very real um, pressure going on with that right now as far as climate change and caring and um, even just person to person, you know, making sure that all the different groups of people are safe that live um, on earth really. Yeah. And, you know, um, just moving forward, hopefully it won't take, um, something as drastic as like, I'm, I'm from New York. I live in New York. 9-11 happened here. Um, we lost friends and family and, but in like the biggest city or most populated city in America, New York city was so, uh, united 
in the months that followed that tragic event that I always thought from there on out, like, we don't have to wait until tragic events occur to realize that we're all in this together. Right. We can wake up without tragedy. I believe that too. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry about, it must have been rough to live through 9-11 in, in New York. Yeah. It's, it was, ter- yeah. A, obviously it continues to be a terrible moment in history and it forever will be, but it, it was a huge teaching um, moment for a lot of people to realize what was important. You know, like when the worst thing you could possibly imagine happens and the sun rises again the next day, you realize life goes on and, okay, so what did we learn from that? And easy for me to say it wasn't my dad or my son or my husband, but, like, that's what I kind of got out of it. Yeah, I mean... When, when tragedies happen, like, on the one hand, it's like there are layers to reality, right? So on one layer, it's meaningless, it's terrible, right? But mm-hmm. on a deeper level, perhaps, um, there's a space in which we're learning a new way to engage with love, right, for yeah. our fellow people. Um, of course, like, do we wish it never happened? Of course, right? Like, yeah, horrible thing. Um but I don't want to say silver lining because I don't want to make light of it at all. But no, I hear you. When as you move, as you move into and through that that deep wound, right? You discover like even even within this horrible thing, there's a space. There's a space for connection and love, right? And healing, right? Um, and that's. It's, it's just the saddest place, right, for healing and love to be discovered. And I, I hope that we, as people, try to find deep healing and love in more, in more joyful circumstances and work hard to create more joyful circumstances for other people, right? I, I agree. I mean, that's why I started this podcast and why I named it You Be You and I'll Be Me, because... Um, we had just taken a cross country trip. We'd driven across country, took a couple weeks to do it, like two weeks before the election and, um, landed in California and was there for the election and all that. And I just started noticing how at that point, like the last glimmer of kindness kind of left the building and people were so one way or the other, you know, so like apoplectic about what was going on. And I just thinking like, I've been married for 30 years. I'm like, I have never won an argument by starting out with, you know, Hey idiot, listen to me. (laughs) Like that doesn't work. Yeah, (laughs) I've tried, believe me. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like, but it's hard. It's hard to have those dialogues where you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to you. Now I'm going to try to tell you back. Like, what I understand you're saying, because sometimes those messages you hear from people, um, make us really uncomfortable. You know, like some of the people who voted for Donald Trump, um, said they felt forgotten, you know, or there's, and that, like that feeling of being forgotten is something 
that we can relate to, you know? Absolutely. Um, because everyone at some point in their lives has felt isolation at some point. Absolutely. And I think the key is not further isolating people, you know, um, on certain issues we can say, okay, we, we really think this needs to go maybe not the way that it's going. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but I mean, ultimately, um, grouping an entire group of people, no matter, you know, whoever they voted, whether it's who you voted for or, you know, what you believe or, um, whether you think astrology is real or not. Right. Right. It's like, it's like, it's pointless. Yeah. And people say to me all the time, oh, how do you convince someone to try Reiki? I'm like, I absolutely don't. <laughs> you know, you, you know what I do, you know where I am. If you'd like to try it, I'd love to sh- tell you about it and show you what it is. But I'm not in the business of convincing anyone to do anything. Absolutely. Like people, people ask me that about astrology and yoga too. And I am just like, well, plenty of people want to do yoga, astro yoga, astrology. I'm here to talk to you about it. I'm here to, um, run workshops on it, but I'm never going to like grab you and force you to come (laughs) to the astrology workshop. You know, it's like, if you're curious about it or interested in it, you can do it. Yeah. But if you're not, you know, not everybody, not everybody has to be into Reiki or astrology or yoga, right? Yeah. And you, you also do um, tarot? I do. I read tarot. They're, it's very closely linked to um, astrology. And so... I would imagine um, tarot must be medieval also, huh? Yes. In, yeah, in some ways. Um, it also dates back to the Kabbalah. Um, so there's there's a strong medieval sort of influence because when the Catholic Church really took over Europe and a bunch of when the Catholic Church just took over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of religions that weren't Catholic, right? Um, more earth based. Um, more traditional to those regions, um, they had to find different ways of practicing. And so a lot of the symbols of the old world are sort of written into them. And they they are broad because of the Indo-European trade route. So um, there's, there's a lot of interesting symbolism from Europe, from the Middle East, from Egypt, um, all the way down through India. So I really enjoy them for that reason. And especially as a folklorist, I like love symbols. Yeah. It's so interesting. You should write a book. I'm I'm sure there must be books out there, but I would love for you to write a book about like what all those symbols mean. Like when you, even when you just said like sing that song three times, that means 20 minutes. Like that's so cool that you can decipher that and figure that out, that that's what that means. Oh, well, it wasn't, it wasn't me. Someone else figured that out. <laughs> I don't know where from, I'm sure. But, but you know um, that you have the information. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've spent 10 years studying this stuff and, um, I just, I just love reading it for people because I see, I mean, on my, on my kind of like academic 
like I want to nerd out about this side. I'm like, yes, I just want to talk about the symbols and all of the different things. Um, But I also see a cohesive structure about how those energies interact in people's lives. And I mean, that's the benefit, I think, for my clients of working with me is I see how these energies lay out in their readings, whichever reading they choose, and how they can then engage with them. Um, And I just see people feeling better, you know, like a step toward feeling better, a step toward health, a step toward um, understanding what's deep within is that expansion of consciousness you were talking about or awareness. Is that the word you used? Yes, awareness. Um, But that's so, that's so beneficial, however it comes. That's really cool. And could I ask you and tell me if it's not okay, do you have your cards nearby? Would you pull one card for me? I do have my cards nearby and I'd be happy to pull one for you. Let me just go grab one. All right, cool. Yeah. I have been reading with a deck called the Guy in Tarot lately. Um, I'm not associated with them, but I just really enjoy it because they've, she, she has great symbolism in it. She's incorporated a lot and it's non, it's non hierarchical as far as gender or race. Uh-huh. Um, so there's more representation. Cool. I'm pulling a card. Oh, this is a nice card. All right. I got the seeker. It's called the seeker in this deck. It's, it's also called the fool. Um, it's, the tarot key zero, so that's the major arcana if you are a tarot person. Uh-huh. And it's funny because just before we started this call, you told me you had a little dog. Um, and in, in the traditional, in the more traditional writer weight deck, it's a, it's a person walking with a little dog. Oh, funny. Yeah. And what it is, is it's key zero because zero is present in literally every other card. If you think about numbers, you can add zero to any card and it's present. So we call it the fool, but that's really like an esoteric um, word in this case Mm -hmm. that indicates the aspect of pure spirit. That thing, when we were talking before about how consciousness comes to experience itself, yeah, that's the idea of the fool or the seeker is that we arrive and we're on this path and we're seeking something. And even though like, you know, when we're born, we forget, we don't know what we're seeking. Um, we know that we're seeking it. Right. There's something that we're allowed to remember that keeps moving us forward to seek out whatever it is we're supposed to seek out. And I've been a seeker like my whole entire life. I, I'm always like, hey, did you hear about this? You know, now I'm into this. Now I'm doing this. Now I have a podcast so I can tell you all about all the things that I'm finding out about. You know, like it's always been a part of who I am. It's such a beautiful, it's it's one of my favorite cards because I just think about, I think about it all the time just because the other cards deal more with circumstance, right? Like you're going here and you're doing this. Yeah. But the seeker is like that core aspect of who you are. Like what is at the center? Like what is the goal of meditation and the process of meditation? Um, 
you know, how, and like the path you walk is fun and adventurous, but the path you walk, you could almost walk any path and you'll still find what you seek. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about this card. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Cool. So if people want to get in touch with you, they can go on your website, find you on Instagram and get a reading, um, get an astro yoga reading, get a tarot reading, um, talk to you over the phone or uh, Skype or whatever, Zoom. Yeah, Zoom. Yeah, perfect. The new Skype. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. So yeah, my website is emilyridout.com. Um, I have a book now site. And then if that's booked up, you can always email me. And sometimes I squeeze people in when they when they write me nicely. Uh, <laughs> Good. Or not nicely, but, you know, people are nice. Um, and, yeah, it's it's pretty easy to get in touch with me. Um, yeah, my Instagram is Emily Ridout Astro Yoga. And, yeah, I'm around. All right, cool. Well, um, thank you so much. And don't hang up. I'll end the um, podcast, but I will chat with you for a minute before you go and uh but thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it it was great talking to you i really find you so interesting and um easy to talk to and i encourage people to give you a call and reach out and get in touch with you and get a reading done well thanks so much jen i really appreciate you having me on yeah absolutely um, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, you can go to iTunes and rate and leave a review if you would. Um, until next time, uh, peace. Thanks.